Welcome to Language of God and to a special Lent reflection series where we're reading selected pieces from Wild Hope, Stories for Lent from the Vanishing by Gail Boss. I'm Colin Hugerwerf, the producer of the show. Wild Hope is a book of stories about wild creatures that are imperiled. Before we get to the reading, let's hear briefly from the author, Gail Boss. So many of these creatures, by writing about how they are amazing and beautiful, can't help but bring us to awe and wonder. And then if we learn about their suffering, can these stories crack open that husk and convict us of the suffering of God's beauty? I mean, isn't that what Holy Week is all about? The suffering of God's beauty. There you have it on the cross. Check out last week's episode for even a little bit more context from Gail for where the book came from. The reflections from Wild Hope are grouped into five different weeks, with four creatures in each week, throughout the season of Lent, and four more during Holy Week. Gail decided to group the creatures for each week by the main threat to their survival. Last week we heard about how these categories echo Matthew 25, insofar as you have done it to those without homes, without food, as you have visited the sick, you have done it unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters. The sick is week two. Those are four animals that have become sick in epidemic proportions because of human activity, either directly communicating an illness to a creature or putting them in close proximity to other creatures. We're reading one of the reflections each week throughout Lent. We'll end with an interview with Gail Boss on the last Thursday in Lent. We'll have a different staff person read each week. Jim Stump is reading today. Week two, the sick. Indiana Bat. Through thick layers of absolute sleep, she feels heat rising in the body pressed tightly against her left side. Her right side, too, warms with the warming of the body pressed there. Pressed against her chest, another body seeps heat to hers, just as the one behind her warms. Soon these bodies, and hundreds more, are rustling. Hers, with the help of her neighbors, heats, and her heart, with theirs, quickens. Forty, ninety, two hundred, six hundred beats each minute. In just an hour, every cell in her is surged from nearly dead to urgently alive. She snaps open her wings and falls into the swirl of tiny furred bodies flapping through the cave. It's a communal resurrection. And in a healthy colony of Indiana bats, it happens every 13 days or so for the six months of their hibernation. Near-death sleep mightily strains the body. When circulation slows to a trickle, toxins collect. Tissues begin to sicken. At the brink of harm, an internal alarm rouses each and all. They wake and fly, flushing the toxins from their systems. After about an hour of freshening, they regather, toes grabbing the cave's nubbled ceiling. They fold their wings and scooch together, 400 upside-down bodies squeezed into each square foot. As one body, they close their eyes and surrender again to the slowing that will save them until the world outside warms. They slow so dangerously near death because they trust the group body, and because they trust this cave. It's a rare place, as they have known for thousands of years, 
Long, high, many-entranced, the cave's architecture keeps its temperature between 37 and 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Other bats can live well in warmer or colder caves, but not this most sensitive and companionable of all North American species. The weight of three pennies in a palm, each Indiana bat arrives with just enough body fat to survive six months of communal hibernation. If the air were warmer, their group sleep would not be as deep, its faster metabolism using up body fat. If the air were cooler or drier, they would sleep more deeply, but wake more often to flush toxins using up body fat. This cave holds them perfectly poised in a sleep neither too shallow nor too deep, so their fat stores will last until spring supplies insects to eat. Humans, too, flock to these exceptional caves for exploration, intrigue, and income. When flushed from their winter refuges, bat colonies freeze or starve. Ten million Indiana bats once sheltered in Kentucky's Mammoth Cave. Now 400,000 sightseers tour it every year. In 1967, there were so few of the species that it was one of the first listed in the Endangered Species Protection Act. Four decades of protection later, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service declared that the Indiana bat had a high recovery potential. Then, in February 2006, in a cave adjoining tourist caverns near Albany, New York, a spelunker photographed hibernating bats whose noses were oddly chalked with a white powder. The following winter, state biologists found several hundred bats dead in four caves nearby, their noses powdered white. Within 10 years, 7 million bats of 9 species had died in 31 states. Biologists named the plague White Nose Syndrome. The very places Indiana bats trusted to preserve them betrayed them. Cool, dark, and humid cave air not only holds bats in metabolic equipoise, it also invigorates a fungus new to North America. Brought from Europe on spelunker's gear, spores of the fungus multiplied rampantly in caves of northeastern states, then spread farther and faster on the bodies of bats. The tightly packed group body that Indiana bats trusted to heat them and hold them through winter contaminated them. When spores of the fungus stick to her body, a hibernating bat becomes a furred petri dish. The fungus grows most densely on her nose, but it invades at her most vulnerable portal. 85% of her body's surface, a bat's wings, are exquisitely laced with blood and lymph vessels, nerves, glands, muscle, and connective tissue. All the rhythms of her body pulse within their thin skin membranes. The fungus simply devours every sort of cell in them. The winged jazz she is collapses into a jumble. The biologist who's been watching this cave for two winters finds her outside in the middle of a February day. She's wing-walking feebly across the snow. She stops and licks up a few flakes. He takes her in his palm, touches her tiny white nose. Her wing membrane looks like crumpled tissue paper. It sticks to his finger. Emaciated and dazed, she doesn't resist when he puts her in a box to take back to his lab, where he knows she will die within hours. Inside the cave, he finds others of her colony flying crazily near the entrance. Eating their wings, the fungus is short-circuiting their metabolism, jolting them awake, thirsty, driving them to fly a crippled flight, using up body fat. He will soon be scooping them into his box, too. All the autopsies on the two-inch bodies tell the same story. 
While scientists research treatments of several kinds, they believe the best hope rests within the bats themselves. Their European cousins, over time, developed immunity to white-nose syndrome. Biologists are seeing signs of another sort of life-restoring force in Indiana bats, some remnant populations, rather than waking once every 13 nights of their hibernation, are rousing each night, briefly, without burning much fat. Warming together more often, the colony keeps the cold-loving plague at bay. Though it seemed to destroy them, the bats have found deep within the group body a force that answers death with resurrection. Paraclete Press, who gave permission to use excerpts from Wild Hope. Wild Hope is by Gail Boss, with beautiful illustrations by David G. Klein. Find out more about the book in the link to the show notes. Language of God is produced by Biologos. It has been funded in part by the Fetzer Institute, the John Templeton Foundation, and by individual donors and listeners who contribute to Biologos. Language of God is produced and mixed by Colin Hugerwerf. That's me. Our theme song is by Breakmaster Cylinder. BioLogos offices are located in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in the Grand River watershed. If you have questions or want to join in a conversation about this episode, find a link in the show notes for the BioLogos forum, or visit the website, biologos.org, where you'll find articles, videos, and other resources on faith and science. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.